episode 59, Avoiding Paralysis by Analysis. Today, I speak with Chris Bloomer from Trexin. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I learned a few things from Chris Bloomer of Trexin today. But I got to say, I'm really keen on his thoughts about business process, mostly because he totally reinforces what I said last week in In Between Episode 3. Great minds think alike, apparently. Chris talks about the importance of defining business imperatives before doing any IT or data warehousing work. And then he advocates incrementally working toward these imperatives in a stepwise fashion, because in a stepwise fashion you can allow for mid-course adjustments. And also, you can avoid becoming paralyzed by analysis because the stakes start to get lower if you're talking about the next 60 or 90 days as opposed to talking about changing some five-year vision. It's all about finding and doing the next right thing. Our conversation cruises into a few other key areas like consumer engagement, improving health outcomes, and emerging business models as well. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Chris. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let's talk about Trexin. What do your customers look to you to help them with? What is Trexin? Yeah, so first, uh, at the highest level, Trexin is a management and IT consulting firm across four segments. And and these four segments really transcend, we think, any uh, organization in the healthcare space. And that's consumer experience and engagement, improving health outcomes and uh, and cost. And then we see uh, lots of business models emerging. And so we're helping organizations deal with new business models. And then finally, the item that's impacting everyone again is uh, healthcare policy and compliance. We had consumer engagement, improving health outcomes, and then healthcare policy and compliance. And emerging business models. So things like payers buying providers, providers launching you know, their own insurance products, new entrants into the industries, retailers are now getting into healthcare. It's uh, you know, dogs and cats living together all over the place. Who, who's hiring you? Is it mostly payers, mostly providers? Is it a combination of both? You know, so when, when we look at our, uh, our customers, they fall into the many categories. So payers, providers, accountable care organizations, PBMs. We're now starting to see the uh, products area. So pharma, med tech, health insurance exchanges, as well as healthcare service providers. So maybe we can find some examples to illustrate what exactly these four kind of abstract concepts look like. When we're talking about consumer engagement, what has someone hired you to do to, you know, in quotes, achieve that goal? In the case of payers, typically they've focused on the, you know, the chronically ill through their disease and care management uh, programs. You know, as payers look to attract and retain customers, and the bulk of customers have very little interaction with, with the payer, but they also have choice through enrollment and now as we're moving towards exchanges, public exchanges and private exchanges where companies are moving consumers to let them make their choice. We now see focus on how do I engage the consumer through the web, through uh, apps, through you know, improved IVR experience? How do I connect data across 
all of those elements to really give that consumer an improved experience. So almost moving into what's already been in place in the retail industry for quite some time. And what does IVR stand for? Integrated Voice Response Unit. So, you know, moving through the the phone system, press one for this activity, press two for that activity. God bless you. The bar is low. <laughs> it, it, it extremely is in, in, in healthcare. Do you have any examples, you know, like, how has one of your customers that you can think of improved consumer engagement? Well, one of our clients needed to improve the connectivity between their call center agent and their uh, nurse line. We outlined you know, the specific metrics that we're looking to improve in terms of customer satisfaction and reduce handle time uh, from a phone standpoint. So basically what the problem was is that consumers were calling a hotline trying to get a hold of a nurse, and then you had the nurse entity that was someplace else. So there was a lot of either misplaced calls or people not getting a hold of a nurse. Was that the challenge that they were having? Yeah, that's that. That's a, a part of the challenge. Uh, you know, also just having a poor experience because you uh, sometimes you call into the wrong number. Sometimes you can't get easily migrated to the exact person who needs to handle the situation. Sometimes you're asked people to you know dial up and dial a different number. You know, some of the worst customer you know experience elements that you know that you could imagine. So really trying to create that seamless flow within an organization once a call comes in to make sure it's effectively and appropriately answered and accurately answered and, uh, you know, answered with the least amount of, of effort and most impactful information. Would you consider this, what, the term that immediately popped in my mind was internal interoperability. <laughs> you know, like everyone's worried about external interoperability and having two EHR systems, for example, talk together that are owned by two disparate organizations. But it almost seems like in this particular instance, what you're trying to do is marry together two systems that are within one organization. And that's um, really needs to happen in, uh, across healthcare organizations. You know, from an experience standpoint, it's it hits you you know, in those customer service front office uh, functions. But you take that to the, the new world where you're uh, enrolling on an exchange. And how do you take that exchange information and integrate it into your organization? You know, how do you track the claims of someone who placed an, uh, placed a, an enrollment through a payer, I'm sorry, through a, a large group, you know, through some sort of broker exchange, then, you know, the individual exchange. People are moving between those each year uh, bouncing from uh, you know different types of entry points, and so how do you manage and and see that you know Chris Bloomer in this venue last year is Chris Bloomer in this venue because I switched plans this year, and so that's causing all kinds of challenges from customer service through enrollment through you know processing claims. What's your opinion on the universal health ID, which of course would solve all that those issues? Well, it's kind of interesting that, you know, when you when you think about when I move from employer to employer B, I don't need to change my life insurance or my homeowner's insurance or my car insurance. And so that that really is something that um, I think, you know, is the kind of flexibility that that we should ultimately have is is have that level of portability, I think. I mean, another example of that, just I was speaking to my 96 year old grandmother just yesterday who was complaining she had a little fall 
And um, so she's got a, a hospital system that is providing her with physical therapy at home, occupational therapy. They have somebody coming over helping her with some diabetes and other things. And they can't coordinate. You know, so she'll have four people showing up at odd intervals throughout the day. And she told them that she doesn't want four people coming over in one day. It's just too much for her. And they can't figure out. Nobody can solve that problem because nobody has an overarching view of all of those disparate departments in the hospital. Well, and it's beyond the departments, you know, in the hospital. When you think about traditionally, and this is changing, the payers felt the responsibility to help manage the chronically ill through disease management or case management type programs, which involve then reaching out to their members and trying to identify, you know, gaps in care and uh, health coaching. At the same time, you have their uh, hospital or their clinic uh, involved in outreach activities. And so it becomes so confusing so fast. So part of what, you know, I think needs to happen is organizations need to realize their role in this healthcare ecosystem. And then we need to increase the level of collaboration between payers and providers and, you know, other entities, which is, you know, starting to happen with driving forces coming from the Affordable Care Act and the sort of unleashing of the consumer in in choice. You know, they're gonna they're gonna be looking to, you know, they buy on price, but they'll stay on service and uh, experience. So and quality. But yes, that's that's where we're going is heading towards that level of collaboration and cooperation. It's 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 necessary. So I probably set you up really well to talk about improving health outcomes and, and costs, which was another aspect of your business that you mentioned. What mm-hmm. do you what are some typical project examples of what you what Trexon tends to do there? And that tends to move across a, a broad spectrum when you when you talk about improving you know health outcomes, um, because payers, providers, and other organizations are coming at it from different points of view. So payers have claims data; they typically don't have clinical data. Providers have the clinical data; they don't have the longitudinal view of the that you get from claims data. They either need to start to collaborate or share information between. So many times we will get called in either by a payer or provider where they want to extend an existing warehouse, a data warehouse to take in clinical or claims or biometric or lab data, demographic data, and then um, make sure that that's integrated and easily accessed and consumed by those who want to identify clinical change initiatives that lead to improved health outcomes. So if I'm understanding this, is this a payer simply getting a handle on their own data? Or is this a payer trying to set up a system that providers can also upload their data into the same data warehouse so that it can be aggregated? I would say it's both. Uh, there have been, I think, lots of investments made in data warehouses in the, in the payer space that have really yielded less than ideal benefits to the business. And so many times we're, we're called in to understand and how to either enhance or optimize. But then usually the fa- fast follow-on then is, okay, we want to get clinical data in. How do we best uh, integrate it? What are some of the strategies to uh, from an ease of integration, from an ease of you know access? So we'll get called in actually in both of those situations. You had mentioned that there have you have seen many examples of payers trying to make these data warehouses and it being a not functioning. What are some examples of those fails? 
you know, like what are what are they doing that is not working? Good question. So what they what they tend to do, and and this is I think a problem of many IT organizations in in general, is they launch large, complex, costly initiatives without really tying these initiatives back to business strategies, business goals, and business outcomes. So when we go in and, and assist in an IT strategy or an IT assessment, it, it always starts with meeting with the business and understanding those dimensions and then tying those dimensions to business capabilities, technology capabilities, and then specific technology recommendations you know, and, and actions and, and projects. So that to me is the biggest reason why data warehouses especially fail is they're not tied to a business outcome. They're not tied to a strategy. It's almost a build it and they will come mentality, which rarely happens. What that means very practically is that the payer needs to say, all right, we're going to meet this quality metric and we want and providers also have to meet this quality metric because it's part of some P4P or part of their own, you know, HCAP scores or whatever. Um, so we're going to build this data warehouse in order very specifically to help both ourselves as well as our per member providers meet that goal. Is that a good example or can you think yeah, that, of a better one? <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, a great example. You, know, you can either do it for your own you know, payer benefit, which might be improving uh, and understanding their number one need, which is, you know, reducing medical trend. But that, that typically then bleeds into you know, maximizing that and optimizing that bleeds into you need to collaborate with the provider. And in that then collaboration comes into, you know, as you mentioned, pay for performance, you know, ACOs, being able to provide enhanced reporting, being able to give meaningful insight to the provider so that they can, you know, ultimately do the things necessary to improve health outcomes. So it does walk you down the path of, of the example you mentioned, which at the heart of it is improved pro provider-payer relationships. And how do providers these days, what's, what's the, I'm going to say, overarching business model to, for providers to upload their stuff into a payer database? I mean, is it an EHR export? Is there all kinds of fancy connectivity widgets that need to be installed in order for this to happen seamlessly? How much time does it take a provider? I mean, is this a sure. I think it's sort of, I would kind of back up towards the sort of the business, you know, the business need. So taking a step back, as I mentioned earlier, payers were focused on really managing a patient member outside the hospital system. And we all want to make sure we're managing outside the hospital system to prevent someone from going to the hospital or the emergency room, the ED. With the ACA and the focus on putting the relationship where it needs to be with the patient, which is between the provider, now the provider is charged with managing an, you know, an ACO or a population and managing that patient outside the four walls of their clinic or building. And they lack the people, the process, and the technology to do that. Uh, they don't have the capability of ingesting claims data and then figuring out how to leverage claims data and clinical data. And I would say most, I'm talking about most provider organizations, there are sophisticated ones out there or sophisticated delivery systems that, that do this. But that's, that then leads to the need. And so that, the, depending on the level of collaboration between a payer and a provider, a, pay, a provider could look to a payer for some of those services. 
a provider may decide that you know they want to do those services themselves, which then again leads to the technical integration of the data, understanding the, how that data informs and drives drives insights into the processes of care, where the processes of care need to be modified or enhanced. That uh, you know that drives or helps drive the improvement in outcomes. So it's it's kind of a complex ecosystem that's really hard to parse out one element. So it sounds like kind of back to your, it's really important to have a business objective. Obviously, if you build it, they will come is not a model for success, that there has to be a reason for them to come in order for somebody to take the time and the budget in order to configure their data to fit into your data warehouse. So I could see that the importance of that. But it also would strike me that these that this kind of operation is more appropriate or easier to accommodate if you are a larger provider entity and you have on-staff IT support and, and you have the wherewithal to pull this off if you so desire. Is this another reason why we're seeing so many mergers you know, like you, you'd almost have to have a certain critical mass in order to have the IT in order to be able to upload it into a payer database and make uh, those kind of contracting, those kind of collaborations with a payer. Yeah, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely true. And so, one of the things that we're doing at Trexen is recognizing that the there's a small to medium size uh, provider group or system that lacks those resources. And so, Trexen and others organizations are providing managed services, or in our case, what we call the data science platform in the cloud that gives provide those small to mid-sized providers access to uh, that integrated data. And then we have the data scientists who can leverage that data on sort of a subscription type arrangement and, and really dig in on their behalf to identify some of those clinical change initiatives. So their choices are leveraging solutions like, like I just described or look to partner with other providers or you know, ultimately maybe be acquired or merge. Let's take a look at that, the solution that you were talking about. So say I'm a provider, you know, like I'm a, the, the director of a small provider practice. What, what does the sol solution look like for me? You know, like, so I say, yeah, I would like to catch a hold of that cloud. What do I need to do? Is it, do you have EHR hookups that if I have, you know, all scripts, I just kind of install your plugin and it shoots up there or like, how does that work? Yeah. Again, with the orientation of starting to the, with the business, we'd want to come in and understand what are the, you know, the top handful of dials that they might want to uh, adjust. Maybe they're ED visit is too high. Readmissions are too high. They have certain case conditions that are that are more prevalent than not. So we'd like to identify what are those targeted, pointed elements that they would like to get more insight in, and then we have the technical expertise to, you know, extract data from the various EHRs, and then we have the ability to land them in a secure environment. And so once we identify those needs, we have the data. We then uh, apply the data science. And, and insight and analytics to really inform and identify what opportunities there are to make changes or to dig in further. And that then usually leads to some form of intervention in terms of process change, a technology change, or a people change in terms of how clinicians may do you know, steps one, two, and three uh, as it relates to you know, specific conditions. So it's, it's that sort of circle 
that, that continues to inform from the problem they're solving to landing the data, drawing the insight, deploying the clinical change initiative, and then moving on to the next one. So really bite-sized, small, kind of built-for-purpose efforts versus what I think that model of build it and they will come is you build for all cases, you build for all scenarios, and you end up with a five-year, you know, $80 million data warehouse initiative that never never li- delivers the value. Not really going with the minimum viable product idea in that particular case. It's sort of- exactly. In the example that you just gave with the, you know, building these, I'm, I'm going to say more templated maybe data warehouses that have a price point and probably a technology point that a small or, or medium-sized physician group might be able to take advantage of. In in that example, you're basically providing insightful analytics. So you're helping them take their own data and find the insights within their own data. It's In that example, you're not aggregating the data into a larger data pool and doing benchmarking, or are you? you know, yeah, uh, it, it depends on the depends on the situation. And so, we believe that many organizations, when they don't know what to do with their with their data, they say they need more data. And what we believe is that organizations today are not getting the value out of the data they already have. So let's focus on the data you have before we try to bring in new data. Once we maximize the value from your existing data, we then start to incorporate other data sources. So if you're a payer, it's clinical, it's bioinformatic, it's biometrics, it's uh, um, lab data, you know, whatever being brought in. Now, we also have this notion from a data warehouse standpoint, we want to build a warehouse where we can ask the wrong question as cheaply as possible. Because the concept of data science is, is really understanding the content of the data and the context of the data and leveraging analytics. And that implies an iteration and iterating through the data so that you can move beyond just descriptive analytics. You can get into the predictive analytics and the prescriptive analytics. So that, again, ties into our you know, notion of built for purpose and uh, low cost environment to ask the, you know, the wrong question so you can quickly get to the, you know, to the right question. Sounds like the methodology that you are advocating is very stepwise. In other words, instead of sitting here in our chairs around our little war room table or whatever and coming up with some lofty five-year goal and then setting a course to achieve that goal, what you're effectively advocating, it sounds like, is that you sit at your table, you look around, you do a, a data poll, you identify what the major just completely right out in front of us problems are or, you know, insights that we might have and things that we might want to solve, like, for example, high emergency room, you know, high ER readmits or something. And then we start, we say, okay, well, that's obviously a problem we need to fix. Let's drill down into that further. So now that we know it's a problem, let's start looking at trying to figure out predictive or, as you say, prescriptive solutions for it. But you kind of identify the problem and then start solving for those problems on a very in a very kind of incremental, slower, cautious kind of process as opposed to picking a goal and then shooting for the stars that may or may not actually be a problem in five years when you actually figure out how to solve it. Yes. And, and you know, we, we say sometimes, you know, you need to think strategically and then, you know, act tactically or locally. So you want to have that 
that vision of where you want to be, but you want to make sure you're striving towards that, that vision and, and really build on successes. And so we think that you can do some of this analysis, you know, in 30, 60, 90 day sprints. And once you find a pattern or, or something that is, is driving value, you then can industrialize it and move it into your broader warehouse and, you know, make it available on a, you know, on a broad, more broad scale. So it's really building in those smaller bites, building on success, and then, you know, still knowing what you're vision and goal is for, you know, let's say it's your information warehouse. I could see that that's actually a really much more comfortable way to proceed because it really mitigates a lot of the risk. There is a whole lot of risk involved in spending huge budget dollars. So you probably have a lot of analysis paralysis because people want to make absolutely sure and do study after research study in order to make sure that this gigantic thing that they're building is completely awesome, maybe. Whereas if you just sort of think about it in 30-day or 60-day or 90-day chunks, then really all you're risking is 30 or 60 or 90 days. You know, like if it doesn't work out, you can just pivot, you know, right after that local micro project is complete, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, learn, test and learn, you know, fail fast and move on. And, and, and typically when you talk to you know, payers or providers that have large data warehouses, the common themes that are described are it's difficult to get data in out into and out of. It's difficult to get an extract. It takes six months to get something meaningful and it costs a million dollars. So there are these sort of large monolithic over-engineered environments. And, and so we're, you know, we're either getting called in from the IT executive who wants to make improvements in that space or we get a call from the frustrated business users who are saying, hey, you know, how do you, how can you help me get insight, draw insight from, from the data? Um, we've got cost pressures, we've got service pressures, and we need, we really need this uh, information to help us drive where the business should go. This is one thing that I have been confounded by for a while. Maybe you can shed some light on it. I'm thinking as a provider, so putting myself in a, in a provider's shoes, I probably have, at a minimum, four or five payers that I'm working with. I got some of my patients that are on a United plan. I got a bunch of them on Medicare, maybe different Medicare Advantage plans. I have you know, somebody else who uh, is on pick another commercial plan. If I if each one of those payers has its own data warehouse, and especially as you were talking about before, that you've got patients that are, I mean, I probably had three insurance plans in the past five years, moving in between those those data warehouses. Do you have any advice for a, a provider? I, you know, like, am I being asked by each one of those payers to upload my data to different data warehouses? So I'm getting bombarded by different stats from each payer and all over the place? Yeah, so I think there's several things that, you know, that come into play here. You know, first and foremost, this is all leading in a kind of common theme through today is that payer provider collaboration, which, you know, hasn't been as robust and motivating from each, each point of view until now. So that has to happen. And so in some communities, like in Minnesota here, we have the Institute for Clinical Systems Improvement, which again is an independent nonprofit healthcare improvement organization that brings hospitals, plans, employers, consumers, you know, to really bring consistency, uh, innovation, you know, standards. So that's, you know, that's a, a big piece of, of this as well. In Minnesota, 
what has happened is that, I mean, you can almost look at this Institute for Clinical Improvement as a kind of hub. So you've got you've got providers feeding information into that data hub and then you've got payers collecting information or feeding information into that hub so that people only need one pipeline, if you will, out into the cloud instead of trying to figure out how to construct five. Well, subtly nuanced, a a little different. So the ICSI, the Institute, is really focused on process, metrics, goals, collaboration. And then I really think it's the role of the health information exchanges that exist in in many states, many regions, where we have hospital systems and others looking to share information. And so that's where I think we we need the data sharing to occur in you know in those either state run or regional type uh, type exchanges. And the more we can standardize the you know the inputs of an, and outputs of those, it it makes it you know far easier to send the same file or the same feed to multiple organizations. As you mentioned earlier, if you're sending different files at different formats to multiple organizations, that's that's uh, very difficult to maintain and manage from an IT standpoint. So these HIEs, which obviously have been puttering along for, for quite some time, do you think that they are at a critical mass right now that in most states or in, in most uh, MSAs, if you will, that the HIEs are functional to the level that if I'm a provider, I don't need to worry about having multiple data feeds? Or do you feel like there, we still have a long way to go? I think there's uh, definitely a long way to go. And depending on, you know, again, areas of the country are more sophisticated than others. I think a big driver is going to be CMS. I know that, you know, that they're looking to provide, you know, grants and seed funding that help uh, existing HIEs and incentivize Medicare providers to really get on these exchanges. And then if I'm on the exchange for a government program, it's obviously going to be easier to, to leverage that effort to move you know, commercial uh, transactions uh, in as well. So I think a lot of it's going to be driven as, as many changes in healthcare have been driven from you know, CMS points of view. So what are you most excited about that, that's coming up? Is Truxton doing anything really interesting that you would like to share? A couple things I'll mention. One of the things that we see that we think is tremendously exciting is this concept of the emergence of the quantified self. And so when you think about the advances in, in technology that's impacting our physical lives through mobile apps, the health and fitness wearables, medical devices that are uh, implanted, and other the devices uh, around your house, your bed, or um, whatever it may be that's gathering data, it, it's really allowing an individual to understand their health and transform the expectations for personalized medicine and healthcare. What this really involves is having a, a patient, an individual patient data stream. Those elements are the wearable devices that we mentioned that can really move huge amounts of personalized data through privacy safeguards, being able to take those data streams and combine it with EHRs, claims data, behavioral health status, et cetera, to really get a full picture of that patient journey. And then being able to take that integrated data set and mine it you know, on a large scale to really drive and detect undiscovered patterns. All of this then would lead to more effective outreach, education, and the behavioral changes needed to 
save money and improve medical outcomes. So that to me is is very exciting. And Trexin's involved in in that. Absolutely. So where where can people find out more about about Trexin should they have an interest? Yes, so people can visit our website which is www.trexin.com. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Chris. I learned a lot. Thank you. I enjoyed uh, the discussion. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.